ask yourself how you would fight a fire that seems to be like out of control. Firefighters will be relentless about things, but also be very strategic about it. They will let parts of a building burn down so that they can save other parts of the, or they'll be like, you know what? I need to let this part of the building go because we have to protect this other building over here. Like they get very strategic about it. So when people often say, I'm fighting fires all day long, they're normally doing this. Like there's no control. There's no element to it, right? Welcome back to another episode of the Anonymous There podcast. I'm your host, Joe Chura. And you just heard from Mike Vardy. already starting the show with an amazing tip. Mike is an author, speaker, and productivity and time management strategist based out of Victoria, BC in Canada. He's the author of The Front Nine, How to Start the Year Anytime You Want, and has a ton of books. When you think productivity and you think of the playbook, Mike is the guy. He drops a ton of knowledge on the show. We talk about things like habit tracking, the best apps to use, theming, how to make the most of your day, how to plan your day, why Inbox Zero is not worth it, and a tip that is so easy, but you have to try it for yourself, so you're gonna have to listen to see what that is for your own health, hint, hint. But before you kick back or you get on those running shoes, take a moment to like, follow, or subscribe, and then after you're done, please leave a comment or review. Let's get this productivity party started with Mr. Mike Vardy. Welcome, Mike Vardy, to the Not Almost There podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm really, really happy to be here. Can't wait to get started. So I have a burning question. I worked on an assembly line back in the day at Ford Motor Company. And at the time, we were building the Ford Taurus, the 1998 Ford Taurus. And we had to build 72 cars per hour. And it was all about productivity. Now, I, now fast forward 20-some years... And I look at my life and my peers and just everything that is happening out there. And it's all about productivity, but it's off the assembly line. It's the human machines. Is there a reason why we want to be as productive as possible? Did something change? I think that the ability for us to have asynchronous communication and asynchronous connectivity across the globe has somehow warped the idea that humans can do more than humanly possible on a consistent basis. Um, We hear about consistency, showing up, hustle, the grind, all those things, um, and systems and all those things. You put those in place and and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we can accomplish Herculean tasks. And to a degree, that's true, but it's not sustainable. You know, I mean, we aren't machines. Um, And this stuff started back before, you know, the, the area you're talking about, we, we hear about motion theory and all of these, the, the industrial complex. And it was bound to get to this point where the, the humans created machines to move faster. And once the machines got to the point where they could do things at a certain rate, uh, then all of a sudden the expectation was kind of shifted to people. You know, like you should be able to do this. You should be able to, because the technology allows you to do this stuff and it makes things simpler and faster. Therefore, your bandwidth is not being taxed as much. So you should be able to do this and this and this and this. And you've got these tools that can track these things. But the mind doesn't work that way. I mean, we are not designed to, number one, multitask. That's not a thing humans can do. Machines can't even do that. They, they, they task switch incredibly quickly 
but that's because they're they are literally machines. They don't have some of the elements of our brains that, that you know that the humans have. They don't have you know the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex and all that. They're just processes, and that's why we hear when you're talking about machines and and technology, garbage in, garbage out. Right? You put the wrong thing in, and the machine doesn't do the right thing. Humans are the same. It's just we need to rest. We need to, you know, we need to do that sort of thing. So I think that this was bound to happen. Uh, Cal Newport talked about the idea of email speeding things up and how people believe that it would definitely help with productivity. But what happened is, is because there's so many inputs coming at one person at once and they can't possibly filter to the degree that they either either A, would like to or B, that they'd be allowed to. Because that's the other thing too. There's limitations around what organizations will let you do that uh, it was bound to happen. Like it started happening in the, in the nineties and now we're 20 years later and we're wondering, well, how did we get here? How did we get to the point where uh, email getting through your email inbox is one of the hallmarks, a paragon of productivity. I got to inbox zero. I'm like, well, that's great. But what about this report that you're supposed to work on? No, but you don't understand. I had 363 emails and I got through them all. Or keeping up with Slack and WhatsApp and all these things. And he really explored this in his book, A World Without Email, which is interesting because the book, one of the books before that was called Deep Work and how we struggled to get into that. So I think that we forgot that machines do certain things very, very well. And humans do things very, very well. The The critical thinking, the the ingenuity, the, you know, the 80, 20 rule that we've heard about, you know, and that kind of thing. And we've tried to shift too many things from the machines to the humans, instead of saying, this is the lane humans should be in, this is the lane machines should be in. And how do we make sure that they can kind of work together to be productive? Because productivity is not about efficiency on its own. It, productivity is really about intention. What do I intend to do? Or what do we intend to do? And attention, how are we going to pay attention to it? If there's things happening at such a breakneck speed, attention is really hard to kind of hold on to because things are moving so rapidly. So there's no way that you can give your intentions the attention they deserve, ergo you're not productive. So I think that there's been a misalignment. And what's fascinating to me, Joe, is that as odd as this sounds, um, the the pandemic of 2020 that's leaned into 2021 has kind of created this pacing, like a slow, like not a, not necessarily a slowing down, but the cadence has changed a little bit that people are having a greater idea of perspective around this sort of thing. Um, things like work from home, we're realizing that, you know, well, maybe we don't need to be nine to five. Maybe we can leverage strengths of people at different times of day. Maybe we're going to shift from being a time spent on, on tasks as being the measuring tool to the results we get regardless of the time spent, right? So I think that sometimes when events like this happen, they can um, accelerate things that were already going to happen anyway. I mean, the work from home movement was on its way. You know, a lot of these things were, were, were on their way. They just were accelerated, thrust into it because of, of this. And I think that, again, oddly enough, because there's been this forced um, slowdown or this forced cadence change that people are thinking more about this stuff and and hopefully there'll be some changes around it. So you mentioned Slack and <laughs> intention. My, my, I had an intention like five years ago. It was five or six years ago, like literally where I was so sick of internal emails 
so my fellow employees wanted to contact me or each other. There'd be all these email strings all over the place. Slack comes out. I was one of the first to pioneer Slack, at least that that I knew. So I go to the company and we didn't really have any official process to roll things out. Like we're using Slack, any internal communication, put it through Slack. Let's leave email for external communication. Now, fast forward five years later, Mike, what do you think has happened? <laughs> now I have another place to check all of these alerts, all of these channels. It hasn't stopped external communication whatsoever. How do you balance these notifications and alerts coming in from all over the place. What's happened is user error. It's the same thing that kind of happened with, I would have much rather had instant messaging and text messaging show up before email because the idea of um, text messaging was the only way that they could contact you is if your phone, you gave them your contact information. Now email, it's out there. Like, you know, I get hundreds of emails per day and Slack, you're right. Stuart Butterfield and the Slack team designed Slack to be, well, initially it wasn't designed to be what it became. That's another whole story, but it was an email killer, right? But to your point, it just gave us another avenue. And then people that were using the tool said, okay, well, like to your point, and that's actually how I recommend people use tools like that. Have what we call a team task management charter or a team uh, productivity charter where it's like Slack is our internal communication silo. If you have something internally to communicate that is not related to an existing task or project because you can do that communication inside your task management or project management tool that you're using, then Slack is where it's at. If it's external, it should be email. The problem is that managing that doesn't come down to just the user, that the end user. It comes down to the higher-ups. It comes down to the CEOs, the management level that say, hey, David, you are sending emails internally when we're supposed to be using Slack. You need to get – we need to make sure that you're not doing this. How can we help you do this? Not shaming but saying, hey, you know what? I know email is a familiar tool for you, but here, Slack is – this is what Slack is for. This is what you should be using it for. So I think that often what happens in the case, Joe, this case, Joe, is that things get rolled out because it's the shiny new tool. They're like, here, use this. This is how we use it. Go. And they don't say, okay, let's be deliberate about it. Let's be intentional about it across the board because you were intentional. But then I would imagine a myriad of people in your organization were probably started as intentional and then maybe they, and some didn't. And then over time, it kind of atrophied, right? You didn't keep that, that flywheel spill, spinning. You didn't say, hey, you know, we've noticed that email traffic within the company is still at this level. We need to drop it to a lower level. Here's the rules. Here are the guidelines. Here's what we should be using. That's that's ultimately what should be happening in those situations. Because if you're adding another notification ping to the mix, then you need to decide what the rules around that are. So if you're getting like notifications from Slack and notica- notifications from email, I'm looking at it through the lens of, well, Slack, those are internal. Email, those are external. I'm going to look at the email ones and treat the, the email ones are going to be treated this way. The internal ones from Slack are going to be treated this way. Unless there's some clarity around all that, it, it, there's no question that you're going to have, you know, mixed, mixed ideas of what to do with it. So it's about the fundamentals. Um, I was listening to David Robinson and his son. They have a podcast called The Fundamentals. And they were talking, David Robinson said, you can't be great unless you're great at the fundamentals. And I think ultimately that's where it begins. So you have to go, okay, hey, everyone, in, in this case, I would say, hey, we've been using Slack for a long time. 
Uh, the idea was it's supposed to be internal. We're not using it as internally. We're, we're email is still happening. Let's figure out why. And because we, we do need to get to this point and we need to get to it sooner rather than later because productivity is hurting us. Like we're not getting done what we need to get done. And we realize you're getting distracted by all these pings. So we need to come up with some standards, an SOP, a standard way of operating that allows us to manage these two different tools in a very specific way so that you can do the work you're meant to do. And I think no one, no one really steps back to take the time to do that. But right now would be a time to do it because you're not, you're not going to be able to lean over the cubicle and say to that person, Hey, you know, this is what we need to do because you may not be in the same room, right? So now would be the time to do it. And I think it's important for leaders because there's a difference between managers and leaders. Leader, managers, you know, can be leaders, but the idea of managing is, is, you know, there's like this herding cats element, but a leader should be saying, okay, I'm asking my team to do Slack internally and email externally. I need to be the one that shows the way. I need to be that beacon. I need to do it. And I also need to be able to help those that are struggling with it because there's some people that are not tech savvy, right? So it's not an easy, it's not a simple answer, or sorry, it's not an easy answer, but if you, you can simplify it, you can say, this is what this means, like you try to do, and this is what this means. And then you just have to kind of consistently check to make sure you're going in that course. Same thing with, the, I could say the same thing with task management too, Joe. I mean, there are people that, that use email for tasks. And it's a terrible way to manage your tasks because you, you're you're not isolated in that environment. You know, it's it's everyone has access to your email inbox. You need to get tasks out of your email inbox and into a place that you can focus on them. And email is a terrible place to focus. So that would be another area that you would look at. Say, hey, oh, is this a task? Get it out of email, get into ClickUp or Asana or whatever tool you're going to use. And that's where that should exist. But you have to set those fundamentals up so that people can be great at the things that go beyond those. So stay on that, on that topic, just because I want to get a really useful sure. tip there. You mentioned Asana and some of these other tools. Do you recommend like a plugin on Gmail for that to push it there? Or do you forward it to like an Evernote email address type thing? What is your process Most for that? Most task management and project management tools, there are Chrome extensions that you can add them in. So if you're using the Gmail web client, then you can actually use the Chrome extensions to grab those. In some instances, there are direct Gmail extensions. Like, for example, I think Todoist has one. Asana has one. Um, Outlook even has some, too. So if you're using Outlook, you can actually marry them up with Outlook or Office 365. Um, you, But ultimately, you bring up a really good point. Um, there are a lot of people, when they do this, they tend to complicate it. So they'll say, okay, I'm going to use the extension and then I'm going to move this task to this very specific project and add all the tags and the due dates. The email address you mentioned, most of these tools have email addresses associated with their inbox. So for example, Asana, let's use Asana yep. as an example. If I mail something from my email address to x at mail.asana.com, it will go to my Asana, my tasks in Asana. That means I can just keep going through email and I know that I've sent it to the right place in Asana. I can go there later and process that later rather than I'm going to, oh, I'm going to click on here. I'm going to add it to Asana. I'm going to add the tags, put in the right project because that slows you down. And then what your brain says is it's taking me forever to get through email because I'm adding these things to this task app. What a waste of time. I could have done these tasks by now. I'm not going to add them to Asana, which is your brain's way of saying, this is a really hard habit to adopt. I don't want to do this anymore. 
I'm going to just stick with, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, but it is broke. So instead of going from zero to 100, which I never recommend, meet, meet yourself halfway. Hey, you know what? I need to get into a sauna, but I don't need to, I don't need to do anything with it other than put it there for now. So I'm just going to forward it to that email address. Or I'm going to forward it to the, to the app without even adding dates or tags or anything. I'm going to get through email. Then I'm going to go into a sauna when I can, or when I choose to, and then sort it from there. So it's about working in deliberately in these areas consistently without creating too much friction along the way because it's the friction that'll get you, right? It's the, that's what'll get you. When you're dealing with a lot of your clients that need help in productivity, time management, um, what percentage, do you get a sense of like what percentage are playing defense their entire day? They wake up, the first thing they do is check their phone and they're being reactive. Is that is that a major problem, especially now during COVID and people are it's, working. It's remotely. been a problem even before COVID. I think the I think what's happened with with COVID nineteen is it reached a breaking point. So the people that were already doing it now they're overwhelmed, and the people that weren't realize this is not how I want to be. So it it, it was a, it, it was a bit of a pivot point. Um, it's the thing about e- checking email first thing, and I used to be at very steadfast but don't check email first thing in the morning which i think is is not a a wise thing to say across the board because if your job's customer service then yeah you should be checking email like that's 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 part of your job but i'm i'm a big believer in if you're checking email to be told what to do then you haven't set forth the right plan in place because you're you're in a job because you're empowered to make those decisions for yourself initially anyway so if you're when you check email first thing you run the risk of saying, I don't know, I don't want to make a decision about what to do. So email will make it for me. Somebody will tell me what to do and that will get me because that's easier, right? Like, oh, well, so-and-so told me to do it, right? I that's love the, that. As opposed to the night before. And this is what I always recommend is plan your day the day before. Even if you're like, I'm a night owl. So for me, I'm at my best later in the day anyway. But if you're, and, and by planning my night the night before, I'm not caught up in this fog of like, what do I do? Oh, look, shiny new task. Like I, my brain has been, you know, kind of instructed by this previous version of myself, right? The idea of like the, the elder at the end of the day that said, well, Mike, I'm going to pass on. Like I think of it, if you think of every day as like a lifetime, right? Like when you start your day, you're like a brand new, you're, you're, born of this world you're like you're, you're kind of you have a, you have a sense of what to do but you're kind of like navigating things and as you make your way through the day you get your handle on things by the end of the day you've lived an entire experience and so my job at the end of the day is to pass on to the next generation of me hey let's make tomorrow even better than today or let's make let's make tomorrow worthwhile let's make sure you leverage as much of tomorrow as you can so then I wake up and I look at this and go, okay, well, I'm supposed to record the ads for this podcast, or I'm supposed to do this, or I'm supposed to do that. That's what I've said that I need and want to do. That's what yesterday Mike said, or the day before, or the day before. The problem, the, the the problem is, is that when we don't do that, then someone else will tell us what to do, and someone else, the easiest access point is that is your email inbox or any other form of messaging, depending on where you've prioritized it. So I always say, like. Before you check email, at least take a look. Get 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 the shape of your day sorted, right? Like get that sorted because then you you have some awareness. 
And then with awareness, you can have clarity. And with clarity, and Thomas Leonard said this, clarity affords focus, right? So even if you check email, you've got this plan, right? So, okay, I got to do these things, but rate the plan, the plan. And so that way the day doesn't get completely derailed because you're right, right out of the gate, people are reactive. Oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. And you, you also have to keep in mind that when your superiors or your colleagues are sending you emails, Sometimes it's useful to reflect back to them if they've given you a lot of things to do, what really matters right now. It's, it's okay to say, hey, Joe, um, I got your email, message received, but you've given me these other five things to do. Which one is the most important? Which, is, which one's going to have the greatest impact right now? Because chances are Joe forgot the other four things. Joe's not keeping track of all of them. Because Joe's got his own things to keep track of. So you're actually doing them a favor when you reflect back. Now, again, don't, don't do this every single time because that's a sign of incompetency, <laughs> right? Like there's subtext in all this. But yes, I think most people feel like their day is already out of their control before it even starts. So the key is, is the night before, even if you're a morning person because you want to hit the ground running, set up your day with as many tasks as you feel that you need and want to do. And then know that that's kind of like your compass, right? Like that's the, that's your daily, I call it my daily driver. Like that's the, if I get through those and I and I have a scoring system that I talk about when I work with clients too, to kind of give them a sense of what their productivity ROI was for the day. But at the end of the day, you can get through, I mean, you can get through, you're going to get through email. You're going to deal with email. If you can look at that list and go, you know what? I did a good job. Um, then you're, then you're that much further ahead than you were when you woke up in the morning going, wait, what? Okay, I don't know what to do. Um, I think that, that when you start to take command of those tasks, then you can gain greater definition over your day. And I've always said the calendar is like the directory of your days. The to-do list is the details. And then one thing that I think you should do, and this is a form of that, at the end of the day is journaling, like chronicling, like, cause the journaling is like the story of your days, right? So, Hey, I didn't get this done today because I was bombarded with email or, Hey, I talked to Joe about the five tasks he sent me and he said that all five were important. So I really need to take a look at other things. Am I being given the resources I need to do to get this job done? Should I even be here anymore? Do I need to construct my day in a different fashion? It creates these introspective things that allow you to get better at what you really need and want to do, which therefore, you know, makes you more productive because you're now saying, these are my intentions. This is how I'm going to pay attention to it. So I, I, yeah, I think that when I deal with most clients, my goal is to get them out of that reactionary state. And the easiest thing for me to do to get them to start doing that is like, Hey, take five minutes at the end of your day and map out the things, however many you want to list that you need and want to do tomorrow. So that way, when you start the next day, you can hit the ground running and not feel um, as if email is going to not only derail your day, but completely hijack it. So you set the best intentions for the night before. I love what you mentioned about the calendar, because I do the same thing. I look at my calendar the night before, what's coming up the next day. Typically, at least I get right. mentally prepared, even if I don't take any action. I wake up and I know it's what's going to happen. So next day comes, I start my day, bam, fire, like not a literal yep. fire, you know, a word fire. <laughs> now, all of a sudden you're starting to play defense again. How do you pause during the day when your days already get derailed 
take a deep breath and say, okay, I got to get this back on track. So I, I want you to think about again. when people say this all the time, I have to fight fires all day long. And then I ask them, okay, well, if you're a firefighter, ask yourself how you would fight a fire that seems to be like out of control. Firefighters will be relentless about things, but also be very strategic about it. They will let parts of a building burn down so that they can save other parts of it. Or they'll be like, you know what? I need to let this part of the building go because we have to protect this other building over here. Like they get very strategic about it. So when people often say, I'm fighting fires all day long, they're normally doing this. Like there's no control. There's no element to it, right? <laughs> so the thing is, is that you can... Uh, Questlove wrote about this in his book called Creative Quest. This is the first time I came across this term about micro meditations. And it's like taking 30 seconds and just sitting with it. 30 seconds is not a lot of time when you're feeling that fight or flight thing. But when you are consciously taking 30 seconds, it can feel like forever. I do this exercise with people when we when I've done, uh, you know, speaking on, on stage and even virtually harder to do virtually because the atmosphere is different, but I've done like, okay, we're going to sit here for 60 seconds and do nothing. Put your, put your books down, put everything. Don't want to see any devices. And we're going to do this for 60 seconds starting now. And I sit for six. I, I like, I don't do anything for 60. And then I sit down and then at about the 35 second mark, I kind of shuffle as if I'm going to get up. And people are like, oh, 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 because they feel like, oh, but they don't realize we're not, we're just barely past the halfway mark. And then you hear like, you know, when, when, when there's too much silence and it gets uncomfortable and then people, you could hear people starting to laugh and titter and you hear the shuffling of feet and all that stuff. That's when people are, when, when you feel uncomfortable, that's okay. That means that something is like, you know, you're sitting with something that you're not used to, right? And I love the idea of micro meditations and just taking a beat and going, okay, how do I attack this properly? Like what's what's the next best action for me to take? Is it to start spraying willy-nilly or is it for me to go, hey, you know what? Joe's over there. I need to know what he can maybe do to help me out. I'm going to sit down and map out what I need to do to take care of this really quickly. Or I'm going to get on the phone and call this person. I'm going to, I'm going to just take a beat before I actually do anything, right? Like fools rush in, that idea of fools rushing in, right? And it's amazing when you take that 30-second beat or 60-second beat or however long because the, the, the clarity that you gain from that just in that moment can allow you to forge ahead with a better solution than just the straight-up offense. Um, another metaphor would be football, right? Like the idea of, I'm a Cincinnati Bengals fan, unfortunately, uh, no matter how you want to slice it. But when you're playing football, the defense is designed to stop an offensive play and the offense is, is trying to get through, whether they're trying to run the ball. The quarterback reads the defense, may call an audible, right? Oh, they're going to do this differently now. You're literally trying to get 10 yards down to get the next four chances to score, right? And there's constant changing that's happening. And a two-yard gain, a three-yard gain is something, right? You're that much closer. So think about it in those terms as well. You're not always going to be able to get like, you know, 15, 20 yards. You sometimes have to grind it out and get three, then two, then five. And okay, now we got a first down. So it's 
often when we when we are faced with these reactionary solutions or these reactionary situations rather, we tend to try to think of like I need to solve this completely now. And you, most cases you can't. Sometimes you have to let certain things burn. Sometimes you have to let certain things go. Um, but the only way you're going to get that understanding, that awareness, that 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 focus, that clarity is to go. All right, I'm going to take a step, and and kind of just be thoughtful about it. You know, be a bit more um, reasoned with my approach as opposed to being reckless or ruthless, because reckless productivity is not productive. It's, it's, it's not sustainable. I mean, just doing things at random is not, it'll, it'll check off boxes, but it won't necessarily check off the right ones. Ruthless productivity is a recipe for burnout. You know, I'm going to dive in and just, and all of a sudden you're wondering like, why am I, why, I, I now can't do anything. I've, I've been doing this for two weeks strong and now I'm, I'm out. But reasoned, a reasoned approach, that's sustainable. So I think honestly, in situations like that, Taking, taking 30 seconds to step back and assess. And sometimes that's looking at the problem. Sometimes that's stepping away from the problem. But it's important. And the 30 seconds you step away, you can come back and make great gains that you wouldn't have been able to make otherwise. Something that happened to me, this was two weeks ago. I, I came home and I had a client email that I checked like on my way in from the car. I, I walk in the door and my basement's flooded and I'm supposed to present at a board meeting, like a big board meeting. I have a, I have a pretty significant part and it's a public company board meeting. So it wasn't like a charity meeting or something I could get out of. So I, I just walked downstairs. My wife is in tears. I have this client fire. That's, <laughs> that's an email. And all I could do is start laughing. I just started, I started smiling because I'm like, this is pretty shitty right now. Like what, yeah. but what am I going to do about it? I'm about to present. The only thing I could do is smile. And you know what happened? I ended up presenting to the board. Everything went fine. Came downstairs, helped my wife still smile. Cause I'm like, this day isn't going great. And the yeah. next day was better. So it's just so funny how sometimes that look that little smile and how you approach things just makes all the difference. I think that there is this noble ideal of live for today because tomorrow is never guaranteed. And I get that mentality. I totally do. And I think that, but I think, cause it, it, it makes people take action. It's motivating. Right. But we often forget that you're never going to be done everything that you want to do in one day. Right, you're human beings are natural explorers. They're natural achievers. Like they want to accomplish. Like the journey is part of like you know, a being a, a a living being is to you know have great outcomes and live a great life. Right, whatever that means to you. But I think what sometimes happens is when we have this live as if tomorrow is never guaranteed, is that we run into this risk of you don't have those moments of smiling. You don't go that well. Tomorrow's another day tomorrow will be better. Or you know what? Um, we're going to get another shot at this thing. Uh, and what that does is it, it creates a lot of pressure on us, right? Like to, to perform at this optimal level every single day. 
And there are ways to do it, but you have to, you have to make it in a sustainable fashion for yourself. In some instances, that's going to like, there's things you, you can't predict. You could not have predicted two of those three things that, that happened to you. I mean, you knew right. about the one and you went in and luckily I'm, I'm imagining you didn't cram for it. You were prepared for that meeting. So that was a good thing, but you couldn't have prepared for, for, you know, the, the flooding and you certainly couldn't have prepared for the email, but what, what I think is, and this is why I think journaling matters so much is at the end of that day, the lesson is, Hey, I took it in stride and when we find out why the flooding happened and when we figure out why this email happened with a client, I'm going to have some answers that might help me next time. Right. But we, we don't, we live in this society where it's all about like today, 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 live for today. Cause tomorrow's not guaranteed. And I, I hate to say it, but you're never going to get it all done. You're never going to get it all done. Um, and when you have that sense of, okay, and you and you you not only are okay with that, but you embrace that. Then you can put forth your best effort every day on the things that really matter and the things that you can command and control. Because I mean, unless you've got some kind of otherworldly powers, you could not have stopped that flooding from occurring. But I guarantee you that when you started helping your wife, you made her feel better. You had empathy. You had you know all those things that that matter, and you fostered that relationship that you have with her, right? And those things matter. And when you put those things in the story of your life, which is the journal, like, Hey, you know what? We're sitting knee deep in water as we flood, you know, whatever that looked like, there's a story there. There's a memory there that shows that that's life. And that's why I don't like the term work-life balance. I just prefer the term balance because there's layers to it. Right. And I think when you, when you, you, you approach that day with the most balanced approach that you could you handled it, you woke up the next day and took on the next day and you'll do the same thing tomorrow. It's just how you approach each day. And if you can put things in place that increase your chances of having a better day, that's all we can really look for, right? And I do want to say something and I'm going to look right into the camera. Honey, if you are listening or watching this, I know that you cleaned up a lot more than I did that day. <laughs> but I tried. I did have a board meeting. Uh, no, that was, that was, it's funny because like you try to remember that stuff when you're in the moment, but certain times it just takes you to that next level where the only thing you can do is smile. So the great thing about journaling too, Joe, and this is why I'm such a proponent of it is that there are things you will forget. And what I love about going, I read my journal every two weeks. I go back every two weeks and read my journal entries and there are more, smiling moments than there are moments of despair. You know, the fact that, you know, I modified a Nerf blaster so that my son and I can do more Nerf battles. Like that's, the, no one at the end, of that's the stuff that matters. No one at the end of your life is going to go, you know, Joe was a, was a, was such a high achiever. He got his email to zero every single day. He completed his, you know, <laughs> yeah, his, oh, his OKRs and KPIs. Nothing to go, Joe was a great guy, great father, great friend really listened, paid attention. You know, those are the things, those are the things that matter. The, the qualitative stuff, right? I'm not saying forsake the quantitative for the qualitative. I'm just saying, don't be so far out of whack that you're, that you're, you're not living all the while, while you're trying to, you know, achieve, right? Cause th there are so many moments that can get lost in the shuffle. Like that, that to me, 
the 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 client email is probably the least thing that shows up when you think about that day. The board meeting is will probably be like, you know what? Had a great board meeting. This is awesome. But the 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 flooding is probably the most bonding moment that you had that day because it's like we're in this together. And holy shit, like this sucks, but this is everyone has to deal with not everyone has to deal with a board meeting and not everyone has to deal with a client. But at some point in time, dealing with the crap that goes on in a house, if you've ever owned a house, it's like the project that never ends. <laughs> That's the thing that we can yeah. all relate to and it makes you human. One of the um one of the things that I know you you talk a lot about is health and working out and you're more of a night owl. So I read in your book that you like to work out at night. How important is it for someone to realize what type of person they are to set the right schedule? Like for myself, I'm a big proponent of working out in the morning because if I don't, my date gets derailed or whatever. Even if I control my day, at the end of the day, I'm too worn out and I don't I don't like to work out. But it's it almost seems to me like before you can even set that, you you need to acknowledge or go through an exercise to understand what type of person you are. So you're not forcing something. Yeah. That isn't so work. I, I'm a big believer in not fighting your body clock. Cause you got a lot of other important battles to fight every day. Now I am realistic enough to know that not everybody can have the luxury of setting their hours like I do. But I also know that I don't get to do that entirely either. I have two kids there. They go to school. My, you know, the school age is kind of weird where, um, you know, my son is going into middle school next year and my daughter's in high school. It's weird that the older you get, the earlier you have to go to get up to go to school. But teenagers are predisposed to be better in the later parts of the day. They need more sleep. There are, my daughter is definitely a night owl. She stays up later than me now, right now. But that's important because when you know yourself, you can make better choices. So, I can tell you that a couple things. Number one, it's not just about the time, but it's the type too. So for so working out, um, I have struggled to work out for a number of years because it's just not something I've terribly enjoyed. I, I know that it's important. And as I've gotten older, my body is definitely telling me that it's important. But one of the things I've done recently is um, I'm a big believer in routine. Um, not, not throughout the entire day, but having a morning and evening routine. I look at those as like the bookends to your day, right? That way, if the day, like you said, like, oh my God, at a board meeting, the house flooded, uh, client email, but at the end of the day, like, okay, at the end of the day, I do this and this and this and this. And it just creates that sense of stability that I think we need. Um, and so in the mornings now, the first thing I do when I get up is, I mean, I, I do my, you know, I wash my, I, I get my hair all done or whatever. I like run my head under the rain shower and then I, uh, I wash my face and do all that stuff. But then I go for a walk. I take about 30 minutes to an hour. It doesn't, doesn't matter how long used to, I used to be like, I got to go for an hour. And I'm like, no, I don't have that luxury. So I need to at least just go. So I start my day that way because it's important for me to get out and wake myself up. But later in the day, like you said, generally, you know, now for me, it's probably around five o'clock. Uh, it used to be later, um, that I would work out. Like I would go either go for a run or do some yoga or do some kind of high intensity, like the Focus T25 or something like that because of time limitations. But then I would also go for a walk to end my day because I want to hit 10,000 steps. So knowing that, creating some boundaries around that was really important because then I was able to better tackle the day 
and into the second half of my day. Because what will happen today, Joe, is when my son comes home at 3 o'clock, my first shift of work is done. I will then start working again probably around 10.30 tonight till about 1 in the morning. And that's when I do like my kind of my planning and scatter focus and creative time because that's when that's when I'm best suited for. But knowing how your body works and then trying to tailor your schedule, shape your day around that is really important um, because when you do that, you're going to be able to put your best effort towards the work and your best level of attention towards your intentions. So you can do things like, hey, you know what? I know I'm a night owl, so I'm going to do my really heavy work later in the afternoon after lunch so that the next morning when these guys come at me for my work, hey, I've already done that stuff. And then in the morning, I'm going to do my light lifting admin work that doesn't take a lot of brain power. And then and then that's the cadence of your day. It's also important to communicate that to others too, um, you know, because you'll get feedback. You know, if you were to tell your boss, hey, you know, I'm better later in the day. So if you're asking me for something heavy, I'll work on it later in the day. And I'll try to get ahead of the curve because that way you can have it first thing in the morning. But if you're asking me to do something heavy earlier in the day, I'm not going to be able to give my best effort. I'm not going to be able and maybe not say it that way, but you know, you know the idea because then, then you can, then you can embrace that a lot more. Um, so yeah, I'm a big believer in, in embracing your body clock and not trying to change it. I would never say to somebody become a night owl. <laughs> like if you're not a night owl, I don't say, Hey, you know, but I wouldn't yeah. say that I, I don't think that you should try to strive for, you know, the miracle morning that Hal Elrod talks about or the 5 a.m. club that Robin Sharma talks about if you're not predisposed to it and if your lifestyle isn't isn't dictated by that uh, because you can be productive and be a night owl. I'm, I'm proof positive of that. So what about procrastination and putting off that thing that you have to do tomorrow and you just put, keep pushing it back, keep pushing it back? Is there... You are you a believer in like the eat the frog method or just not just grinding it out until you're done with it so your day becomes easier? So I am a big that? believer in breaking a project down to its smallest particles. So what I mean by that is that often we'll put things on our to do list like work on report. Well, that's a terrible task because your brain goes, I can't finish that today. I don't even know what that means. Uh, so verbs are important, number one. But secondly, like what are the level like what are the elements of the report? How do you make measurable steps towards completing that goal, that project, that intention. So if, um, you know, if I was going to write a book again, like write my next book, I wouldn't say work on book as a task because my brain would go, I can't finish it today. Like, because your brain literally wants to close a loop and wants to finish something. So if it says work on book, you're, the message you're technically telling your brain is write the book today, finish the book, get it done. Instead, a better way to for, to kind of remove that, or at least lower the level of procrastination that can occur is to say, you know, write 500 words for book, right? That's something that your brain can do. Um, because 500 words times, you know, 100 days is 50,000 words, right? So all of a sudden, now you got a book, right? Um, another thing, again, is breaking it down to like, you know, if work on book could be, you know, brain, look at cover ideas for books, right? That's That's making progress towards the book. So, but the thing is, you get to decide how, nuanced you need to make that, right? Like get ISBN code for book, you know, find cover for book, do research for book. And maybe you do research needs to be broken down to spend 25 minutes on research. So I stave off procrastination by actually making my to-do list more visible um, by breaking projects down. Now, again, the biases that show up, our cognitive biases like to mess with us all the, 
time. Like they just do. So, so your brain will go, but, yeah. but Mike, you're telling me to make my to-do list longer. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm just telling you to make it more visible. <laughs> like you're hiding tasks inside of that, right? Like for you, Joe, it's like finish podcast. That's a terrible, terrible task because what does that mean? You have to market it. You have to, you have to produce right. it. You have to do all that stuff. So like, I, like for my podcast schedule, I have like record ad one record ad two. If I say record ads, I might miss an ad, right? So the, the, the way I teach people to do this is I say, imagine you're handing it to somebody who has never done it before because you're kind of doing that to yourself, but instead you've done it before, but you're part of your brain is like, eh, I know what to, I know what I'm doing. It's like the cocky worker that ah, I got this. I got this again, the fundamentals. So, um, the other thing I do and I talked about this when I was when I was chatting with Jesse and a, a group during the 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 uh, thirty day uh, was it thirty day challenge I think we were, we were I was uh, part of is this idea. And Jesse you referred to Jesse yes, Hitzler yes, for those yes. that don't know who's been on your show. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, it, is he is the idea has. of of um, theming your time right? So giving your brain a place to go. So not only when I wake up in the morning do I have that list of, of activities and tasks planned, but when I wake up in the morning on a, on a Wednesday, let's say, I don't say, well, what am I going to do today? Because that's a terrible question. Your brain will go, well, I don't know what I want to do. Like it just decides to go, yes, it's got that little plan, but if, if it tries to answer that question without that plan, number one, you're in trouble. But number two, when that plan's done, now what, right? So I give my day an overarching focus. So on a Wednesday, my overarching focus is deep work. So instead of waking up in the morning and saying to myself, well, what day is it? Oh, it's, it's Wednesday. Or what am I going to do today? I say, Hey, well, what day is it? Oh, it's Wednesday. What does Wednesday mean? Wednesday means deep work. Okay. What deep work am I going to do today? And then I can look at my to-do list, whether it's the big long apps that I have or whether I've written down in, in a paper planner, I can say, well, what are all the things that have been listed as deep work? And I work on those things, right? So I give my place a brain, my, my brain a place to go through this theming process. And it really helps stave off procrastination in a number of ways. Number one, because I can move multiple projects forward. If there's deep work around multiple projects, I can move multiple ones forward. But not only that, if I don't get all my deep work done for Wednesday, which I won't, as I've already alluded to, then my, my brain knows naturally where to put it next. It's got a default day, right? Like, well, I didn't get all my deep work done today. Well, I guess the next obvious place will be next Wednesday. That's when I'll do more deep work. And then I've already filtered it. Now, if there's more deep work that needs to be done between now and the following Wednesday, I'll do it. But and I'll and I'll I'll find places to do it along the way. But for the most part, most of that stuff gets carried over to the following Wednesday and not the next tomorrow, the next tomorrow, the next tomorrow, the next tomorrow, because all I'm doing then is just, you know, basically front loading every day subsequent to that. And then I'm derailing those other days, right? So it, 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 this time crafting framework and approach that I have allows me to have simple, flexible, and durable solutions that are also sustainable that allow me to move things forward at a consistent rate. So that, and sustainable rate. So that way procrastination, when it does show up and it does, it doesn't have as much to hold on to. It 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 it, it comes across a lot. It comes it comes uh, uh, it comes across far more friction. And, and when procrastination faces friction, then all of a sudden you can get traction again and say, okay, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna make progress on this. 
because I have a play. My brain knows what to do. I want to unpack a few things there. What are the, what other theme days do so you have? I have seven daily themes. I have seven daily themes, and when I will tell you right out of the gate, when you start doing this, don't try to theme all seven days because again, it'll overwhelm you. Some of the daily themes I have are leveling. So Monday is my leveling day, and that's when I kind of try to get back to an even keel. So a lot of administrative work happens that day. A lot of um, uh, a lot of maintenance stuff happens on Mondays, and it's generally because people are already wrapped up in their own things on Mondays. Like they're not. I don't really want to send a lot of emails on Mondays because I'm not going to get replies. So I tend to be in my own space. Tuesday is my listening day, so that's when I do podcast stuff. It's actually also where I will only do interviews. So if someone wants to interview me, it's a Tuesday, generally speaking. Um, I will make exceptions to that rule, though. So if someone said, like, if if Seth Godin wants to be on my podcast, I'm not going to give him my link. I might, but I, if if I ask Seth to be on my show, Seth Godin, and he says, sure, Mike, when... Um, or he'll say next Wednesday, I'm not going to go, well, hold on. Here's my booking link. You go ahead and cause that's just, I mean, th- that's a bridge too far. So having that, that boundary there for myself is important because it's a rule, but there can be exceptions to it. So Tuesdays are the days where I not right. only will do interviews, but I will be interviewed. And that's when I'll focus on, on podcast stuff. I, for example, we're doing this on a Tuesday because it's listening day. And I've already recorded my podcast ads for my podcast. I've gone through and done a bunch of stuff related to the podcast. So at the end of the day, I can feel like, hey, I have followed my theme. Wednesday, I mentioned is deep work. Thursday is my training day. So that's when I train myself. My overarching focus is like I'll do a lot of reading, a lot of researching, but I'll also do a lot of client follow-up because I'm training them. And I also will train my team. So I'll build training videos or I'll go in and and, – teach them something new or, or I will learn, like I'm, I'm taking this course right now called linking your thinking and I will spend some time in there. Friday is my triage day. So that's when I'm closing out the week, anything that any, any quote fires or anything that I need to wrap up and close up. That's what gets my overarching focus on Fridays. And then Saturday and Sunday are interchangeable and it's based largely on the weather. Uh, if, if it's sunny on Saturday, it's my family day. And then Sunday is my planning day. If it's sunny on Sunday, then Sunday will be my family day and Saturday will be my planning day. So family day is, uh, all bets are off. It's all family, household chores, all that stuff. We do whatever. We'll go swimming. We'll go do whatever we want to do. That's what happens on a Saturday. On a Sunday, it's my planning day. I will do plans not just for for work stuff and for productivity stuff, but also for family stuff. And that's the great thing about daily themes is if you listen to all of those, leveling wasn't just about work stuff. I do admin stuff for for my life stuff. Tuesday, I can tell you right now, today I will listen later on to some audiobooks. I'll listen to my podcasts that are that are in the backlog on Tuesday because it's my listening day. Wednesday, I'll do some deep work related to personal stuff, like my own personal stuff. Thursday training, I will do things like uh, I want to learn, oddly enough, about more about handball because I watched a video with Lewis Howes and Kobe Bryant and they both were into handball. I'm like, I'm not terribly athletic, but handball sounds like it'd be a lot of fun. Let me see if I can find some stuff about that. And then Friday triage, well, I want to close up my personal parts of the week. So I'll do things like I have to call Dyson to get our like vacuum thing replaced, like those kind of things. So you try to make your themes universal 
because that way you can operate that way. Because productivity is a lifestyle too, right? It's not just about like what I do at work is different than what I do at home. If you can have an overarching focus for both, then it allows you to seamlessly kind of know, okay, well, oh, you know, this light bulb burnt out in my, in my study. Okay. Well, that, that could be a Monday task because it's leveling. Like I can still see light. Like there's no issue here. I, I, it's not like I'm in the dark, uh, or it's a Saturday task cause it's family. So I could do, I, I now have natural landing spots for these things. So that's the whole point of theming is to give myself an overarching focus because when I have that, I have a starting point. When you're working with clients, what's one of the first things that you have them do? Hmm. This is a great question. So I find out if they're a calendar person or a to-do list person. And I, I can find out pretty quickly um, by asking them a series of questions. And if they're a calendar person, then I send them down the time theming path that we just talked about. So that's if my days are fairly tightly scheduled. Um, a telltale sign is if they put tasks on their to-do list, like deadlines, or on their calendar rather, if they put those on their calendar then I, I lean that direction. If they are more of a to-do list person, so they're like, yeah, I have this long to-do list. Uh, you know, my calendar is pretty sparse. I just have appointments on there, things like that. Then we focus on what I call mode-based living. So this mode-based operating way of working, which is, and again, I, I, it, this gets fairly detailed, but once you start operating this way, it makes sense, is there's these five categories of modes that I use, this mode-based mode-based living. Time-based, resource-based, energy-based, which is really helpful for night owls and early risers and kind of living your body clock, activity-based, and then theme-based, which we've touched on. And so then what I have them do is tag items in their to-do list based on those those modes. So if, if you're looking at a paper to-do list and you're like, well, which are your low-energy tasks and which are your high-energy tasks, I'll have people put like a down arrow next to their low energy and an up arrow. So then they can group their tasks that way. So we won't start with daily theming or anything like that because their schedules are, oh, my schedules are too dynamic. Like I, I don't have as much control over my day. So I really use my to-do list. We start there. And then what happens, Joe, really, it, it, you know, as we go through a program, and I'm actually going to be doing this group cohort with people starting in May, is no matter where they start, once they get familiar with both, they intersect right? So remember I mentioned that theme-based modes was the last category of mode. So now all of a sudden these two things intersect. And once the calendar and to-do list start working in tandem, whew, it like your days sing because it's like, oh, today's my listening day and I can do all listening stuff. Eh, I'm kind of tired now. Well, what are my low energy tasks? Let me do those. Oh, oh, you know what? Now it's time for me to What's my monthly theme for this month? Oh, it's nutrition. Great. Let me do some low energy tasks around nutrition. So everything kind of just starts to coalesce and it becomes somewhat automatic, but you can cast aside something. Like if you're having it, like, remember when you told me that you had like, okay, I had this board meeting and then the basement flood and the client. And if your day was like deep work day that day, you go, yeah, screw it. This day yeah. is, I can't do deep work now. <laughs> I'm going to get through the stuff and then I'm going to focus on low energy tasks. And if you bang out like 10 of those, then your day, st you still go, Hey, I got my dopamine hits that I needed to stay productive. I dealt with this flooding. I dealt with this fire, this, this client email as much as I can. I did the look, man, I did the best with this day that I could do. And you, your brain, instead of going, well, what are all these things I need to do? You're instead, you're going, I don't know what those details of those tasks are. I just know I'm fucking tired. So let me do all the things I can do when I'm tired. Oh, there they are. So it just starts to 
the more you do it, it's again, it's kind of like working out. It's kind of like operating these little habits that you're adding. And, you know, when I'm teaching people, especially about this mode-based stuff, they're like, well, what, uh, uh, do I need to add all five categories? I'm like, no, 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 don't do that. Like, again, you're going to overwhelm yourself. I'm like, think about baseball. There's like five starting pitchers on a baseball team. So pick like your starter mode, like the one that's going to get you like five to six to seven, maybe even eight innings and choose that one. So for some people it's time-based because it's the easiest. And if you noticed, I listed them in order, time, resource, energy, activity, and theme. They go in order of easiest to most challenging to adopt because everybody can go, well, what are my five-minute tasks, right? So if that happens, then I can say, okay, if time-based is it, then is your starter mode, then pick a couple of relievers. And some people go, well, energy and then resource or energy and activity or whatever. And then it's like, okay, now you've got a couple that you can choose from. So instead of you saying, I'm going to double down on time all the time, it's like, you know what? I realize that time and energy kind of are related. Like a five-minute task is a low-energy one. And I kind of like the idea of, Asking myself, what do I feel like? Like, how do I feel right now? I feel tired. Okay, I'm going to do some low energy tasks. And then you can cast aside the five minute ones because you generally know that's what it's going to take. Same thing with, you know, um, making phone calls. Hey, I'm going to pick up the phone now. What are all the phoning or calling? Let me see those. Or the phone is a resource. Let me look at all the phone calls I can make. Oh, look, there's five of them. Bang, 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 bang. You get in the state of flow, right? So... These things all work together over time. It doesn't happen right away. It's like anything else. But when you start to adopt these bit by bit, it really makes a huge difference. And then you can perform at a level that you really didn't think you could. And it feels, I wouldn't say effortless, but everything just kind of gels. You know, and, and I know that, that that might be hard to think about right out of the gate, but when you add a little bit here and a little bit there and you start, that's why I call it time crafting. Crafting is about like a craftsperson um, never says, well, I'm done. That's it. I'm an actor. I've done everything I get. Like, like very few actors will finish with their craft. They'll never say that's it. Like it, you want to craft your time consistently until you don't have any left. And so the idea is you can work by theme. You can say, hey, here are my daily themes or... I'm going to work by mode or I'm going to, you can, you can start to craft your own way of operating and your own way of living. And when you start doing that, you put yourself in a real amazing state to have more flow and less friction in your life. So one of the things that I see happen often is because a lot of folks have access to each other's calendars during the day, they'll find an open slot and they'll take it. So what people have been doing is time blocking certain things that they want to, they need to either get up or have lunch or work out or what, or just have focus time. Is time blocking something that you recommend and how do you implement it the right way? I, I do actually, there's, there's, so there's, there's time blocking and there's horizontal theming. I, I actually teach horizontal theming is part of time crafting. So horizontal theming is consistently, the same period of time over a stretch of time. So for example, um, for me, one of my horizontal themes is from 1230 to one Monday through Friday, it's lunch. So that's a horizontal theme. No one can book time during that time. I also have another one, my walking time. Remember I told you I went for a walk. That's a horizontal theme Monday through Friday from 830 to 930. It's blocked off for walking. 
if I start at nine, oh well, I get out and at nine o'clock I'll start that. But no one can book me during that time. Time blocking to me is different because time blocking is not, I wouldn't say arbitrary, but it's not always the same time, right? Like I'm going to block at this time here, this time here. The great thing about time the horizontal theming is that your brain gets used to it. It becomes consistent. It becomes habitual. Hey, from 8.30 to 9.30 every day, I do this. And from 9. So that's why I'm not a big fan of like no meeting days. Like you hear like, oh, today, Friday's a no meeting day. I'd much rather have you have no meeting times across multiple days of the week. Because then, you know, because by number one, by Friday, everyone's exhausted. Like you're not going to get a lot. It's better to right. say from, you know, from like two to four, Monday through Thursday or, th or even when Tuesday through Friday, no meetings. Number one, you can often get more hours out of it if you do it that way. So if it's from, let's say it's from two to four or three to five, Monday through Friday, no meetings. That's 10 hours. That's longer than most work days for most people, right? Like eight hour work day is typical, but I know entrepreneurial time, it can stretch into 12. That's still, you're getting it consistently. So I'm more of a proponent. If you can get a horizontal theme in place, I like that better. And again, it doesn't have to be five days. It could be two days, three days, whatever. But yes, I think they're important and I think you need to set them up. And I think you need to do them in a way that is, you test the waters. You dip your toe in. So don't, and again, we we have a propensity as, as people that want to achieve and want to get results quickly is we'll go, okay, that's it. From nine to 11, Monday through Friday, I'm working on, I'm going to block off time to work on focused work. Well, number one, good luck with that right away because you're going to be disrupting everybody else around you if you're on a team. Um, Number two, what the hell is focused work to you? Like, you need to understand what focused work is. You need to make sure that that's where I would use, like, deep work instead and then say, okay, well, that's a mode that I need to be in, or focused work. I need to be in focused work mode. And then you need to make sure that your brain has a way to look at focused work. Oh, here are all the tasks that fall into focused work. Don't just block off the time and say, okay, well, this is for project X. By the way, the reason you don't want to do it by project is because projects tend to end. So if you're like, I'm going to work on the, yeah. the, the, you know, Acme project and then it ends, people are waiting for that project to end. Plus, you, so I would say, call it project A, project B, project C, and then define what project A is. And then when project A is done, you have a new project A, like create it so that your brain doesn't have to constantly, oh, well, Acme project's done. What's the new project I have to make? No, you don't want to change your calendar every time. Just call project A, project A, B, C, D, if you're going to do it that way, but you need to have some definition around it. And again, you don't want to do it all at once. I would create, I would test the waters. First off, figure out what time of day you can get away with a time block first, right? So to say from nine to 11 is probably not going to work for most people because most people want to have your attention at that time, right? Like that's early in the day. But later in the day, maybe between three and five, you might be able to get a time block in. But then again, what kind of work can you get done between three and five? So maybe that's like email triage. Maybe that's what it is. Like, because you can go through those pretty quickly. Or maybe it's reading time or researching time or whatever. So yes, I am a proponent in doing that, but I, I, I caution people not to hyper schedule themselves. And what I mean by that is if you fill your schedule, your calendar so full with very specific detailed time and something goes wrong, your brain goes, oh, well, when am I going to get this thing done now? That's the first phase. The second phase, 
is almost this denial phase, which is, well, see, look, every day something happens and derails it, so I'm just going to abandon it altogether. And that's often what happens is when we try to take on something new that's hard, like setting a new boundary up, if we say, oh, well, you know, I've hyper-scheduled my day and it never works out, oh, well, I guess it just won't work. And I'm, I'm like, that's not true. You probably just try, it'd be like the equivalent of saying, I want to run a race. I'm going to run 10K tomorrow. Well, might you might want to, you've been on the couch for a while. Try the couch to 5K program first. Yeah. Then go, get to the 10K. So yeah, if you're going to start time blocking, either start with smaller increments more consistently. So 30 minutes, maybe three days a week. Um, but you have to know, you have to have that awareness of like, wh- what does my work situation look like? Am I going to be able to do this? You know, I know for a fact that I can block off my entire morning to do the work I want to do because I'm my own boss. I can do that. But then in the, I have to leave room for my clients. I can't block my entire day off. So therefore I have to leave from one to five open to do things like this. But I could tell you if we hyper-scheduled, if I hyper-scheduled and blocked out every moment of my day, you and I would have been done talking a long time ago. Because I would have said, oh, no, I've, I've," and you don't want that kind of pressure. You want to have some, again, simplicity, durability, and flexibility. That's what you want. Because when you have that, then your intentions can thrive, right? Because you need time and space for those. But you also need time and space for your attention. So if you can, again, it's, it's all about baby steps. It's this marathon and not a sprint idea. And you have to break past this mentality of, you know, well, what, what if tomorrow doesn't show up? You have to go with the assumption that tomorrow will show up. And when tomorrow shows up, you got to be ready for it. I've, uh, I've noticed a significant issue, though, when you're behind Zoom all day or you're behind a desk in a virtual environment versus being in the office at least once every half yep. hour, get up, walk around, go talk to someone. Now um, kind of stuck in this mm-hmm. chair, right? One of the things that I found helpful is to time block exercise during my day to be able to get up, move around. Then I would look forward to it. So I know I'm not just going to be stuck here because it's not, it's not about the day. It's about knowing in your mind that you're going to have to do the yep. same thing tomorrow. Have, have you seen that change drastically over the last year or so? I think people are being... They are, they, again, because the cadence of the world has changed, especially like I'd say the Western world, like, you know, knowledge workers specifically, um, zoom fatigue is real, you know, desktop fatigue is real. Um, I, I, what's interesting is I will like earlier today, I had a call with a friend and I was out on my back deck reading a book, but I was like for work, but I was also out, um, I will get on, I will go for a walk and have conversations. I will do like walk and talks, things like that. I think we've seen more people kind of test the boundaries of what they can do with that time. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that people can get on a treadmill necessarily right away, but Peloton seems to be doing pretty well since the pandemic began. So I think that there's some people that are getting some stuff that, that they can, you know, exercise from home. I think that you have to find What's going to work for you? Per- productivity is very personal. Even when business isn't personal, productivity always is. So for some people, they may need to use it like a Pomodoro technique style, which is the Pomodoro technique is 25 minutes of one task, then a five-minute break, then a 25 minutes of a completely different task to kind of promote neuroplasticity, then another five-minute break, and you repeat this two more times, uh, and then you take a longer break. Well, that five-minute break, yeah, you get up and, and, and you move around. Um, 
when you don't have Big Brother watching you as much when you're working from home, yeah, you can get away from your desk and eat. I highly recommend that you do because in a change of environment really does help you. So yeah, I think that what you're doing, I think is really smart because you're probably not saying I'm going to go exercise for an hour. You're probably taking small increments, right, Joe? Like it's not like you're blocking out an hour every couple hours. You're probably saying I'm going to take 30 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. You need to kind of test that and experiment with it and see what's going to work for you. And I can tell you, I've experimented with my walking time. My walking time was originally from five thirty, from five thirty or five to six, and then I moved it up to four thirty to five thirty because I had to be home time in time to prep dinner on certain days of the week. So I just made it more consistent. You'll have to play with it, but I think yeah, sitting in front of a computer all day or any kind of screen for all day um, is not sustainable, and and you will burn out. You will you will be drained. So to get up and say, you know what? Um, I'm going to have a break at 2.30 from 2.30 to 3. I'm going to get up and walk around. Even if you need to be on a call, um, that's when you that's when you uh, join the Zoom room from uh, from your phone and you turn the video off and yep. you say, hey, I'm going to be going for a walk for a second. I need to get up and go for a walk or whatever. You, you have to test these things and don't be afraid to because at the end of the day, as we talked off the, off the top, is we're humans. We, we do not... We often are operating in inhumane conditions as humans. We need to be more humane. And this is an example of being more humane. Give yourself those breaks. Step away for a minute or two or three or five or 15 because you need to do that if you want to be able to keep this up sustainably. And you're you're often a lot more present when you can get away with or when you can get out of your, your computer, right? When I'm not here, I mean, now I have all my notifications off, obviously, but during the day, there's a lot of notifications. There's a lot of noise. When I can take the Zoom meeting walking around, I'll actually print out. Mm-hmm. I have a printer, <laughs> believe it or not. I'll actually print out a document, take it with me, put in my earpods, ear, earpods yep. and just start walking. And I can be way more present in the conversation. And if I'm having a one-on-one with someone, I print out the one-on-one document and I'm looking at it and I could walk to the little downtown area and grab a coffee and sit down, especially now the weather's breaking. I mean, it just makes for such a different day than just being stuck in your well, Zoom and, chair. And, and I think the other thing to your point is analog is making a huge comeback um, because it allows us to, I mean, look at bullet journaling. I mean, uh, you look at paper planners on Kickstarter alone, there are over 300, I think, in the last two years that have been projects that have come up that are planning tools. Um, there's something about the connectivity that you get with the things on paper than you don't necessarily get through digital. Digital is great for incubation, right? It's good for like long-term storage. Like I want to do this, but I don't want to lose sight of it. I'm going to put it here. But when you put it in front of you on paper, it's like, okay, these things I've, you've not only written them down, there's something kinesthetic about writing it down that sticks up here a lot more, but also, yeah, you can be fully present. Um, you know, you, I mean, going, uh, trying to, to do too much, digitally keeps you from better connecting to the things that you can do um, without having that those distractions. There. I mean, frankly, I don't have um, notifications on in most instances. I have, uh, you know, so for example, on my phone, and you might have noticed that I looked at my phone a second, uh, a few minutes ago. It's because I have a very specific custom vibration for my daughter and my wife. So if they call I know what that is. And that draws my attention. Anything else, I don't pay attention to. Um, 
you can you can design your devices and your digital environment to suit you. Out of the box, it's not designed that way. It's they want you, <laughs> the the device manufacturers and the software they want you to use the tool the way it's designed for the general public. You need to customize it to suit. So I don't have the red dot on my email. I don't need it. I go into email with missions rather than questions. I'll go into email and go, what emails do I need to send? Then I'll deal with the emails that have come in. So if you can go in and, and like what you're doing is brilliant, Joe. Like I'm going to take this. I want to be very deliberate. This is my intention. I want to make sure that I pay attention to this meeting. This is the way I can do it. It, as opposed to, let me look at the screen on my phone. Oh, look, everyone else is still, look at all the, oh, Austin Cleon did a live video on it. Like, because you know what? It'd be way easier to watch that live video with Austin Cleon than to pay attention in this meeting, right? So yeah, I, you have to, it's a very personal journey and it's a journey. That's the thing too. It's a process and it's ongoing. So the key is, is to figure that stuff out. And then once you figured it out, Stick with it, let it kind of percolate and and become part of the way you operate, and then add another one. And then, you know, it's it, again, I'm not a someone that works out very very much in terms of lifting weights, but you're not going to go from like 25 pound dumbbells to 45 pound dumbbells in one fell swoop. You're just not. You have to add the weight incrementally. It's the same thing when you're learning anything new. You're not going to go, okay, let me go from zero to 100. This is the same. It's it's the same. You're learning how to operate in, you know, an environment that has a lot of uncertainty. And you want to try to engineer certainty in these areas, but you can't do it wholesale. So you have to do it piecemeal. Is that the biggest trap you see people falling into is they're trying to do too much yep. too fast? Yep. They, because they want the results quicker. Everyone wants the quick win. I mean, that's why... That's why apps are so popular, right? Like, oh, the app will do it for me. Well, yeah, if you have a, I mean, Evernote's a great example. Evernote was a tool that people were like, uh, if I put everything into Evernote, it's going to it's gonna save me. And the problem is if you don't have a good process, then it's just, you're just moving the pile from one place to another, right? Um, yeah. Same thing with apps. People go, you know, like, I mean, I, I had an Apple Watch for the longest time. I got rid of it because I felt like it was more of a weight than a, than a benefit because I was getting notifications and it was telling me what to, I'm like, I don't want to be, you know, I just want to, I know if I walk a certain amount per day, then I will hit the exercise goals that I want. So therefore I will just do that. And I do not want to, I want to be fully present. I want to be in the deep now as Stephen Kotler calls it in his book, the art of impossible. I want to be there. I want to have better chance of getting into flow. And every, if this is going to go off every, you know, 15 10, 15 minutes, I'm not going to stay there. Um, so yeah, it, people want the, the, the quick win. They want the, that's why inbox zero is such a huge thing for people. The little dopamine you get from every email that you deal with, no matter how innocuous and stupid it is or how important it is, it's still the same, you know, boom, 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 oh, I got to zero. Yeah. But it's empty calories in a lot of cases, right? And so if you're using Inbox Zero as a productivity measurement tool, then you better be a customer service representative that answers emails and that's your only job because there's way more to it than that. So yeah, people want that that app that's going to solve the problem. They want that planner that's going to solve the problem. They want the the tool, but they don't want to necessarily put in the work that, that that's going to be sustainable, that's going to be, that they have to build and work at. But we all know that, you know, the longer you do something, the better you get at it, 
the more fulfilling it's going to be and the more the, the, the lasting impact it's going to have. So yes, um, I will work with a client. I'll meet, that's why I have like 30 day one-on-one programs and I have 120 days. The 30 day we meet consistently, it's intense. And this cohort that I'm doing with a group of people, it's over the course of May and it's like two to three hours a week we meet. And it's pretty like, it's intense. But then I have the 120 day program, which is a longer program. We meet bi-weekly. It's a little bit, it's more nurturing and less like intense. But I can tell you every time I meet with somebody, Joe, it usually at the beginning, it's one step forward, one step back. You know, even with my contacts to them, they're like, well, I tried, but you know, I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't do the morning routine this week. I'm like, your morning routine was literally to put, uh, no, I didn't do my morning routine cause I didn't do my evening routine. Well, your evening routine was meant to set up like your Keurig coffee to put the, the pod in it and make sure that it was ready. All you had to do is press in the morning. Yeah. I was just too tired to do that. Like you were too tired to do that. What did you do when you, and then we go into it and they realize, oh yeah, you know, it was just, it wasn't that hard. No, habit changes are hard um, because the part of our brain, the amygdala just wants to fight, flight, or do the other F word. Like that's all it wants to do. It doesn't want to, it's all about survival, but the thriving part, the prefrontal cortex, the, the higher reasoning part, it has to fight a battle against this, this, this primitive part of our brain constantly. And at the end of the day, that's hard work. Like it's taxing. So you want to give that 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 advanced part of our brain as much ammunition as possible. Hey, you know what? What day is it today? It's Wednesday. Okay, what do we do Wednesday? Wednesday's deep work. Okay, where I don't know what the deep work tasks are. Yeah, you do. You wrote them down here. That's got deep work next to it. All right, fine. And then then you'll do the deep work. I'm tired now. Well, what do you do when I'm tired? Yeah, I don't want to do the work. Well, what do you do when I'm tired? Well, I don't know. All these down arrow things. Fine. Like, it's literally this battle that's ongoing. <laughs> and you need to, you, and, and you you need to feed that advanced part of your brain so it can fight off against, and it's okay. We all, I mean, there's days where, we just, I just came out of like the Easter long weekend as we're recording this. There were days I didn't do stuff. Right. And that's okay. But when you have a system that you trust in place and a framework that you can just pick up where you left off, like, Hey, Oh, today's Tuesday. It's listening day. Okay. What listening tasks do I do? I don't know. Well, no, here they all are. Okay. But now I'm tired. Okay. Well, let's do some low energy tasks then. Yeah. But low energy tasks for what? Well, it's, it's your month. It's, it's the time crafting, total time crafting. You're do some low energy stuff around there. And then at the end of the day, when I write in my journal, like I was tired today, but man, you know what? I did some tasks that I knew I could do when I was tired and I made some progress. So, you know, you, sometimes you end up telling that part of your brain that didn't want to do anything. You're giving it like this, <laughs> like saying too bad. I still got it done. Like sometimes that's what happens. Um, but yeah, it, it, people want that quick win, that magic pill, silver bullet doesn't exist. Um, it takes effort, but if you have something that's simple, it, and, and again, something that gives you some flexibility and elasticity, but, but, and something that you can trust that's durable, it, that's the, that's where you end up getting the greatest results, the greatest outcomes. And, and then you end up living the life that you want to lead. You mentioned Evernote. It's so funny <laughs> that I have a buddy that writes everything, like he'll be in a meeting and Every single word someone said, he writes it in Evernote. And then like three weeks later, I'll ask him, 
to reference it and you can't well, find and you it. can't get it you, <laughs> you know because there's so you can't much get in it there. out of there either that's the other thing i'm leaving evernote but evernote's right. kind of lost their way i think in a lot of i mean i've been an evernote user forever and i think they've kind of they've gone through some you know ups and downs and i think that i mean there's other tools now and this is a whole new area of productivity called personal the personal knowledge network you know the idea of building a second brain that tiago forte and nick milo and a few others have talked about and that's a whole rabbit hole that people can go down if they Google it. But, I mean, there's tools like Notion and Rome Research and the one I use, which is called Obsidian. Yeah. And that's – I'm getting out of Evernote to have that because then, again, I'm trying to build something that's trustworthy. So when I have some thoughts, I'm like, oh, uh, I talked to Jesse Itzler about this and then this leads to this. And so you can have this interconnected thought that you can go, oh, and now I can write about this for this or whatever. So it's – it you know, Evernote is one of those tools where it was great. And it's still useful, um, but you're right. If if you don't have it framed properly, then you just got this thing called My Notebook and it has no tagging or anything. It's like, well, where's that note? I don't know where it is. I can't find it. I'm sorry. Yeah, you might as well just yeah. record it. You said it was, It is it an app yeah, called, it's called Obsidian? Obsidian. It's uh, obsidian.md. I really like it because it's plain text files, right? Um, there's this tool in Chrome called markdown downloader so if you like if i wanted to grab a website and i could download it as a markdown file like the entire contents of it drag it into this obsidian vault which is where all your notes are kept and it syncs like that it's lightning fast and then you can tag it and you can do all that stuff so you start to interlink it but obsidian is free for personal use which is roman and and, and i don't believe notion are but the other thing is it's your data like you have it. So it's all localized. So if the web's down, Notion, you can't get access to. Same thing with Rome. But if the internet's down, um, you still have your Obsidian vault. Depending on where you store it, you can have it locally. So you're not like, where is my brand? Like, where is where are all these notes? Um, and again, the problem with Evernote is everything you try to export out of there, if you try to do it natively, it's an E-N-E-X file, which you can't put anywhere. Um, you have to like, put it through a converter. Yeah. It's just a mess. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's another, I mean, there's the other tools that are really important for productivity nowadays are habit tracking tools. I don't believe that you should put your habits inside of your to-do list app because I don't think that they are things that you are things that, that you need to do. They are habits you need to foster. And I think habit tracking apps fit into a bit of a separate category. There's a bit more nuance to them. So I have a, an app that I use that's for habit tracking and I have a to-do list app that I use for personal and I have one that I use for professionals so I can keep them kind of separate. But this wasn't something. What habit tracking app I do you use? I use one called Hindsight. It's iOS only. Um, there's one called Productive that's both for iOS and Android. Yeah, yeah Productive is really use. good. The reason I like Hindsight, Joe, is that it tells me the last time I did something. So the tracker is from the last. So I, it counts it down. So I can track bad habits and good habits. So it's like I haven't had a drink in like three weeks and 22 hours in X, but I can also see if I haven't meditated in a long time. Like it just tracks it that way. So mm. there's that, but productive, it's a simple one. I like it because it's simple, but it's also innovative in that like, oh, it's been a day since I've done this. I really need to do it. Or, oh, it's been four weeks since I've done this. That's good because I don't want to eat junk food right now. So it, it, it works both ways. So right. I like that one. Well, I find streaks are so important too. Like once you once you get that yep. engine turned on and you're going, it's so much easier. And then you kind of have this guilt, like, should I have the drink? It's been five days and tomorrow will be six. 
versus starting from well, zero. And you and can leverage. See, so this is the other thing too, Joe. And I, I, you know, I'm, I have what I call monthly themes. So every month, well, not every month, like 10, nine to 10 months out of the year, I give myself a theme for each month to focus on. So it's my overarching focus. So this month it's nutrition. And so for me, that's where I'm like, okay, I'm going to do some intermittent fasting. I'm going to do like, I'm, I actually map that out because I now have a, an intention that I'm going to pay attention to. But before, but what happened before that is I decided I need to get in better shape. I got to start walking. And I just made this walking thing habitual. Now what's weird is if I don't go for a walk in the morning and I don't get my afternoon walk, it feels weird. You know what I mean? Like, like so it doesn't just get the engine running. But when you miss, first off, it's guilt, shame. But then yeah. it just feels off. Like it's kind of like putting a shirt on backwards. You're like, I know I'm wearing a shirt, yep. but oh, crap, it's inside out. Or it's like it, 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 just something doesn't feel right. And yeah, those streaks are important. And, and, and the reason I want to isolate habits from tasks is that habits are fundamental, I think, right? Like, because tasks come and go, but these are fundamentals until the point where, like, I don't track walking anymore in terms of this habit tracking app because it's habitual. It just happens. It just, it's just what I do. So I'm no longer, you know, I need to go for a walk every day. It's like, I'm a walker. I walk every day. Like, so it becomes identified, like an identity thing. And once you start, getting that spinning, you know, like same thing with anything you want to do, um, consistently, I think, and that's where I think horizontal themes can come into play too. And time blocks is, is I want to do something habitual. Let me do it every single day. Oh, great. I go for a walk every day. I exercise every day. I do yoga. I journal. Journaling is something that I used to track to. I don't need to anymore. It just happens. Um, and the journaling app I use, which I think is a fantastic one, um, is called Reflection. It's a reflection.app, and it's made by the company that built the whole Steam Manifesto. And what I like about this one is it's available for web, Android, and iOS, but most journaling apps don't have this reflection period at the end of the month. So with about a week left in the month, this app actually says, hey, it's time to reflect on the month you just had. And it actually walks me through a reflection process which is how I figured out that I did not live up to my monthly theme in March of nutrition and I had to reset. But most journaling apps, they, they're just general journaling. In fact, Evernote is, some people use Evernote, some people use Notion for journaling, but I like a dedicated journaling app because it's where that stuff lives. And I don't really care if, I mean, no one reads it. It's not for anybody else. But um, I generally like, yeah, it's the thing I do at the end of the day and the fact that I can go back and reflect every two weeks, but then Every month now, I get told, hey, time to talk about the month that's just passed. And what that's done is it's made me decide, okay, well, if that's happening at this time, then two weeks prior, I need to look at my journal. Hey, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm intermittent fasting. This boundary of I don't eat after 8.30 p.m., that's a boundary. Boundaries are really important because when you set them and it, it creates framing for, for habits to take hold – the month of April, we like I told you before we started the recording, is that we're kind of semi-locked down here in British Columbia again, British Columbia, Canada. Um, you know, you can't go out and eat unless you're taking it out or sitting on a patio. And sometimes the weather's, like you said, the weather's hit and miss right now. I just decided, well, you know what? If we're locked in here till the 20th of April, like we can't go out and eat and there's no pubs or anything like that, you're not going to really be able to go out there. That's two-thirds of the month. Let's make this the month I focus on nutrition. I mean, after all, I mean, I'm going to be at home anyway. So I'm going to use this restriction, this constraint as a tool and leverage it as opposed to wallowing in it and whining about it and going, oh, woe is me. I can't go to the right. No, I'm going to go, okay, well, this gives me an opportunity rather than 
taking something away from me. So when you start to think that way about these things, it really opens a lot of doors. Mike, I know we talked a ton today about almost everything related to productivity. I know sure. there's a lot more, but I think we hit a lot of, lot of really good points. What, what is the one thing that someone's listening to this and they're going to maybe go about their day a little bit differently tomorrow, but if there was one thing that they could try, what would it be? It's going to sound really simple It's because it is, but also maybe a bit stupid, but put verbs in front of every task that you write down. Literally start every task with a verb because really every task is an action item, right? You would be surprised. And this is one of the things that blows me away. Sometimes you know, I, I just did a, a free challenge and I do, I'm, I'm doing this free challenge every few months. And it's one of the things that I told people. And you'd be surprised how many people say, you know, I've never, it's a game changer. I, I hardly ever did. I didn't take the time to do it that extra few seconds, but it makes all the difference in the world because you're giving your brain that little bit of a clue, right? Like instead of, writing down, you know, um, can't hurt me, right? If you put down read can't hurt me, you're like, oh, I have to read can't hurt me. It gives you your brain that little bit of a clue because every time you step away from something, your brain kind of has a little mini reset and it needs to reorient itself. Well, if you put the verb there, you're, you're making that job a little bit easier. You don't have to even go into great detail. Like I didn't say read can't hurt me by David Goggins or read the audio book version of can't, I just said read can't hurt me. I gave myself a little bit. So yeah. just take, it takes very little effort. It just takes, in the moment, it takes consistency. Like, but this is something you could do that is simple and you get to decide what the verb is. And what's really interesting about this too, Joe, is you figure out what verbs matter to you. And then guess what? You can start to group things by verbs. So now it's like, oh, well, these are all the things I want to read. Oh, these are all the things I want to write. Oh, these are all the people I need to email. So you start to group these things together, but just start there. Start by putting verbs in front of it. If you ask yourself, I'm going to write something down. Oh, is this something I need to do? What's the verb? Simple. I just had an idea there too, because this could systematically transform some meetings that I have because... When you invite someone to a calendar yep. meeting, right, there's a subject. And if you put in the subject, walk during our one-on-one -on -one today, like I had a one-on-one -on -one with Carrie. If I put walk, walk, uh, walking one-on-one -on -one with Carrie or walk with Carrie during one-on-one, -on -one, she sees that, she might yep. start walking. Then all of a sudden, you're doing something active during a meeting. Yep. I love it. It, it's, it sounds, someone said to me during the challenge, they, they because it was a three-day challenge and, and I introduced it in day one of the challenge, I believe. Yeah, because it was the first day was about awareness and clarity. And they said, I started writing it down and everything kind of opened up a bit. Like it just felt clearer. And that's that's what you're doing is you're giving yourself more clarity. And with clarity, you get focus. And with focus, you move forward. Love it. What books do you recommend? I know you have several books. Um, I know your, your latest book I was reading. It's really good, very practical. It touches on a lot of the stuff we talked about today. What else? Because you name dropped a ton of really good, insightful things to read. Where do you recommend people start outside of your There's one called How to Live on 24 Hours a Day by Arnold Bennett. And it's over 100 years old. It's a really short read. You can get it at archive.org. Like, you know, it's because it's pre-Gutenberg pre probably or around Gutenberg. 
Um, I would recommend that one because it just shows you how timeless some of these issues we face with productivity and time management. Uh, another one I would say is, um, I like Indistractable by Nir Eyal. I'm just looking at some of the, the books I have here. Um, N-I-R-E-Y-A-L. It's one of the best productivity books in the past couple years um, because he talks about distraction and how the opposite of distraction is traction. Um, and then finally, I'd say another one, I mean, other than getting my, if you go to productivities.com and go to free book, there's one called The Gift of Time, which I, I have, so you could pick that up. Um, if I look at... Oh, here's one. Um, it's called The Power of When. This is for the people who want to figure out like when to do things. Um, yes, there's been other books about this and we've heard like Daniel Pink's got a book called When and there's a few others. But if you really want to have a better understanding of your circadian rhythms, like your body clock, Dr. Michael Bruce, um, who wrote The Power of When, he studied this stuff. So he knows, I mean, this is his, his area of focus. And he explains how you can adjust your schedule in a way to better get better results out of what you want to do based on your on on your body clock. So I would say, I mean, there's plenty of books out there, but those are ones that that one gives you a perspective of, oh, things really haven't changed all that much, just the manifestations of them have. The other one is, oh, not all distractions are bad. And here's how I can kind of leverage my time so that distractions that, you know, do come across, I can avoid them. And then the power of one, here's here's how I can adjust my schedule so I can best Le leverage my energy levels and my body clock so I can put forth my best effort with my intentions and attention every day. Mike, how can people find out more about you? I know you have a phenomenal podcast. We were talking about that. You over have over 300 episodes. You've had folks like Seth Godin on and many notable other people. Um, you have several books that are published. What's the best way, though, to get a hold of you? Well, the best way to find me, I mean, if you want to uh, keep up with the work I do, go to productivityist.com slash free book, and you'll get a copy of The Gift of Time, which is a, a book. It's also audiobook version, too, which is kind of nice. Um, and then that gets you uh, access to the emails that I send out on a regular basis. Um, but I'm also at productivityist on most social media platforms, uh, Instagram, Twitter, all of that stuff. You can find me there. And if you want to email me directly, feel free. I'm askmike at productivityist.com. So if you want to email me directly, that's the email address that I check. And uh, I'd be happy to answer questions and help you out along this journey that we call life. And we didn't even get into the social media side today and I'd manage all of that, that craziness, but I really appreciate your time and the, the wisdom. It was an unbelievable conversation. You have so much knowledge and, and what a gift of the, all the tips and, um, and lessons that, that you were able to, to drop during this, uh, this period we had together. So I really appreciate it. Thanks for that. having you. I had a great time and I hope it was helpful to, uh, to the people listening. I had a great time. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Mike Vardy, for being my guest on today's show. You are a brilliant productivity expert. I loved our conversations and we could have kept going all day long. But I wanted to give a few of my takeaways. The time blocking, I use that a ton for work. But what I really loved about the conversation is how you got me thinking a little bit differently of not to have things like no meeting Fridays, but maybe having time blocks throughout the entire week where we don't have meetings. And I'm going to take that and I am going to implement it. 
I also love how we talk about the calendar and how to think about your day ahead of time to get in front of it, which is what this podcast is about, playing offense, how to avoid procrastination by focusing on the small elements of projects. And last but not least, I know there is just a ton more. I'm an app geek, loved that conversation. But what I really enjoyed here is thinking about the type of people we are and setting a schedule and not forcing something. So if you're a night person and you're forcing yourself to become a day person, that just gets tough. And over time, you're going to fail and you're going to feel bad that you failed. And then that's just this continuous cycle of negativity there. You're building up for no reason. So maybe a good way and a good thought is to think about the type of person you are and cater your day and your scheduling around that. I just thought that was brilliant. Mike, thanks again. You're the man. Anyone who watched or listened, I appreciate you. As always, leave a comment or review. You know this means a ton. I hope you're getting something out of this podcast. Please share it with a friend. Until then, have a great weekend. And remember, you, me, we are not almost there.